is the first Sunday after the Epiphany, so we continue with that uh, discussion about how it is that God reveals Himself, how He manifests Himself to the world. We only have two more Sundays left in the season of Epiphany. Uh, next Sunday will be World Mission Sunday, and then the last Sunday of Epiphany, and then Lent begins. So two more weeks for us to be in this season uh, before we start that Holy Lent. And it, uh, it's not too early for us to start uh, thinking about how it is that we're going to keep Lent. For us to start preparing our hearts and minds and thinking about uh, what kind of event it is that we will uh, keep. This lesson that we have this morning is very Lenten in its themes with the, the tearing of the clothes that is done by King Josiah. Uh, King Josiah is uh, here in our passage from 2 Kings. He's near the end of the book of 2 Kings, which was written about 600 by the prophet uh, Jeremiah. It's at the end of that season of the kings. You remember that uh, Moses uh, leads the people up to the edge of the promised land. Uh, Joshua leads them into it about 1500 B.C. And they settle in the land, and soon thereafter they cry out for kings. You remember it's close to about 1,000 B.C. that the first king of Israel is named Saul, and then it's uh, David that replaces him, and David has the promise uh, of having his line in perpetuity, uh, which Christ fulfilled. And you remember that after David comes Solomon, and then the civil war where they're divided between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Josiah is one of those uh, members of the southern kingdom of Judah, and so he is in the line of David. And we've read throughout these hundreds of years uh, of the time of the kings uh, that we've had some good kings and some bad kings. Josiah is one of those good kings. We read he doesn't get the right And yet, he hasn't heard the scripture. Incredible, isn't it? They have so abandoned the worship of God that the people are falling into disrepair. And part of what happens when a good king comes to he says, this is the house of God, we need to keep it in good care. And so go in and find some treasures for the repair of the house. And so he sends his secretary who goes in to find money in the treasury to pay the workmen, and while they're there in the treasury, they find a book. The scriptures, the book of the law, the first five books of Moses, and they read it and find what it is, and discover it, and then they realize uh, what it is that they've been doing and haven't been doing. And when Josiah hears the scriptures being read, he turns his clothes, he's in anguish, he realizes how far away they are from the worship of God. It's incredible, incredible that, that they have this, this one record of the Word of God. And Josiah's response is a right one. Josiah's response is to repent. Right? He tears his clothes and to mourning when he hears the record of God. Now, the word of God is written upon his heart because he is made like us in the image of God. And so, just like Cain and Abel knew right from wrong, just like Noah knew right from wrong, they know that Noah was wrong and they know uh, the ways of the Lord. They hadn't had the fullness of his law revealed to them. And so they continue to repent when they hear his law. Jesus says that he comes to fulfill that law. He comes to fulfill the promises of the prophets. He doesn't come uh, to throw it away. And sometimes people get this 
really strange notion that the scriptures of the Old Testament are somewhere closer or more exacting than the scriptures of the New Testament. And really, if anything, it's the exact opposite. What Christ teaches is a much higher standard of righteousness than what's taught in the Old Testament. You remember in the Old Testament, it says, Thou shalt not kill. Jesus says, Not only shall you not kill, but it's murder in your heart if you call your brother a fool. A much higher standard. The Old Testament says, Don't commit adultery. Jesus says, If you look with lust, you've committed adultery. A much higher standard. And we see that higher standard kept by the Lord uh, throughout the scriptures. He doesn't come to wash away, He comes to fulfill. And He comes to fulfill the law in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he explicates the law and He shows us how it's not about an outward keeping of the law the way the Pharisees were doing, where they're showing on the outside that they're following the law. He's saying that a much higher standard, which is that in our hearts and minds, we're supposed to be keeping the law. And so this is what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll remember it starts with the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes start with the condition of the heart, right? You'll remember that there's the three statements uh, about the heart, and then there's the four statements about uh, actions that we take in the Beatitudes. There's three plus four. So the first three are poverty of spirit, right? So it's understanding that we're not enough. Uh, meekness, we don't defend ourselves, but we allow ourselves to be convicted the way Josiah was. Mourning our sins. Right? This is what Josiah does. He mourns when he hears the scriptures. So that poverty of spirit, recognizing we're not enough, not uh, uh, giving ourselves an excuse, but the meekness, accepting the condition of God and mourning our sins. This is the condition that the heart has to have, this condition of humility, in order then to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. That's the fourth of the Beatitudes, right? We have to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. It's not enough that we do it. We have to desire it. And out of that desire then comes uh, mercy. When we desire the ways of God, then we're able to, to not only be merciful uh, to one another, but to ask for the mercy of God because we've sinned. Then we're able to have that purity of spirit where we're able to focus upon the will of God. And finally, we're able to live in peace, to be peacemakers uh, on earth. So all of those beatitudes are about a transition, a transformation of the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit with mourning and humility so that we're able to, to thirst for the righteousness of God. And in this transformation, then we get the similitudes that we read today, which is that Jesus says, when we've done that, when we've become righteous with God, we are salt and light. Or the similitudes, we're like salt and light. Here's the thing about salt. There is no substitute. Despite what the commercials might tell you, there are no salt substitutes. It's a real thing. Right? And you either got the real thing or you don't. Light is the same way. Either you got sunlight or you don't. No incandescent bulb, right? Replaces natural light. Light is light. And so Jesus is saying, either you are salt and light, you are this this preserving agent, you're this clothing agent, you're this good thing in the world that's been necessary for life. Either you are right, shining forth your works, or you're not. Either you're walking in the righteousness of God in His way, or you're not. So there is no substitute, there is no replacement. And He says anybody who tries to find a replacement, or to say, oh, here's, a, here's another way around the Scriptures, he says, boy, are you in big trouble for that. 
to teach others, it's not so bad. A little lie here, a little stealing there. It's not such a big deal. You're not such a bad person. Look at all these other bad people. You're not as bad as that. All these little excuses that we make for ourselves and one another to not feel that conviction. Josiah is convicted when he reads the scripture. He's mourning and able then to repent and to receive the Spirit of God. This is what St. Paul is saying. He's saying there's no argument, there's no wisdom of God that's a replacement for his power. Either we receive the power of God or we don't. And 1 Corinthians here, he's saying, I came with the power of Christ. The power, the grace of God is a real thing. There's no replacement. When we receive Holy Communion, we receive the grace of God. There is power in Holy Communion. There's no replacement. There's no argument. There's no explaining Holy Communion. Either you receive God's grace or you don't. There's no understanding baptism. There's no perfect explanation for it. There's no substitute for baptism. Either we're baptized and we receive the Holy Spirit or we don't. They receive grace at Pentecost. They receive grace in Cornelius' household. To receive grace, the power of God, is a real experience that we have, and there's no replacement. There's no argument. There's no philosophy. There's nothing that can take its place. And St. Paul says, I'm able to, to proclaim the power of God and to bring the power of God into the midst of the assembly because I focus on one thing. This is the great thing about St. Paul and all the great leaders of the church. They focus on one thing. He says, I'm focused on Christ crucified. There's no way to understand Christ crucified or what that means without the Beatitudes, without that understanding of meekness and mourning. If we don't understand how God humbled himself, we won't understand how to humble ourselves. If we don't understand that love is about laying down one's life, if we think love is about any of these little trite and trivial things that they try to sell us on Valentine's Day, huh? we're going to miss true love. Love is about sacrifice. It's about giving up what I want for the one that I love. And that's our love for God when we're willing to lay down everything that we have thought that we have and to rip our clothes and to say, Lord, I only need you. supposed to be going to the temple. They were supposed to be bringing up the church. That wasn't his job. He could have very easily said, oh Lord, how was I supposed to know? I didn't even know that they were there. We have no excuse. There's enough Bibles in our library here to give every member of you two. We've all got Bibles at home. If you don't have one at home, Please take one before you go. You have no excuse. We all have to be dedicated to the daily reading of Scripture. There is no substitute. We all have to participate in daily prayer. St. Paul says that the Spirit of God that we receive searches God's mind. The spirit that's within us searches the mind of God. When we open ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer, we invite the Holy Spirit to move within us. The Holy Spirit within us searches God's own 
mind and sweeps out all the cobwebs, all the dust, all these distracting messages of the world, and we receive the mind of Christ himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no substitute. We stop the tears. We stop the tongue. We must have the will and the dedication to humble ourselves before God to receive his very heart and mind so that we may dwell in 